This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon then. So we're going to look at one of the famous sayings we have in our language today, which is from the Bible. And we've uh, just taken the, the reading from Luke 12, which uh, picks up on today's phrase. But I just want to start by thinking about how that phrase is used in the world today. And this is just um, an example from Google Images, what, what you get if you do a search on eat, drink and be merry. Um, very much it's seen as a positive thing to do. This is uh, one that's directed to a time of celebration around Christmas. You see it's in the, the shape of a Christmas tree. Um, and here... Um, Things for sale on the internet want to uh, use this phrase, eat, drink and be merry, have it printed on your mugs as you celebrate. But as the, the title for today's talk indicates, this isn't just a, a phrase that's there in the world, it's a phrase which comes out of the Bible. But when we look at the Bible, we see that it's used in very much a, a different way to what it's seen as here on this type of image. We've just read the uh, verse together in, in Luke chapter 12, in, at verse 19, where Jesus is giving a parable. And in that parable, he talks about a man who is very rich and is in a very comfortable position, and he says to himself, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But was this something which Jesus was saying as a, a positive thing, something to be um, celebrated? Well, certainly it wasn't, was it? Because if we look in our Bibles at the, the context of this phrase, we see the message which Jesus was really wanting to get across to his audience and therefore to us today. Because he was introduced to this subject with a, a question, with a request from somebody who came to him. So in verse 13 we read together that one of the company said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So someone came to Jesus wanting him to sort out his inheritance so that he could get what he felt he was entitled to. And Jesus says in verse 14, well, who made me a judge and a ruler over you? And he goes on to say in verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. So we need to beware of Coveting, beware of wanting more and more things. He goes on to say, For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So, whereas the use of this phrase in the world is one which is seen as something to be 
done at particular times of celebration that we should relax and we should eat, drink and be merry. Jesus is putting forward a very different perspective, isn't he? He's saying life isn't, isn't about what goes on now. Life isn't about gaining possessions or just enjoying ourselves. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And for that reason then he gave this parable about a rich man. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he was in a wonderful situation from the, the point of view of people generally in the world that he had got so much that he hadn't got enough space to keep all that his riches had given to him. And so in verse 17 in the parable he says, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he thought, I will pull down my barns, I will build greater and there will I bestow all my fruit. So he was in a very wealthy position and he thought he got to the, st the stage where he would be able to sit back and relax. He said to himself, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. But then Jesus concludes the parable with what happens next. Verse 20 says, God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those th things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so whatever we have today by way of wealth and possessions what we have no control over is when our life will come to an end and in the parable here God says to this foolish man my soul shall be required of thee this night he was going to die and then whatever he'd done whatever he'd accumulated would have been of no value to him whatsoever and so here Jesus puts that phrase into the parable, eat, drink and be merry. And he puts forward a different perspective, saying instead of focusing on enjoying ourselves now, that really we should be following Jesus in what he did in being rich toward God. Instead of laying up treasure on earth to lay up treasure in heaven as Jesus said elsewhere it's very interesting thinking about that that phrase we, we're looking at this afternoon that one in verse 19 he uses the phrase eat and drink and be merry but he didn't make up that phrase himself Jesus was drawing on the old testament when he used that phrase in this parable and what I'd like to do now is to go back to the old testament to the book of Ecclesiastes where this phrase comes from we just start of, start off by uh, noting where it is where that phrase comes up in Ecclesiastes chapter eight, and then we're going to go right back to the beginning of Ecclesiastes to to get the context of it and to understand the message of Ecclesiastes and the message 
of Jesus in the context of what we have in this book in the Old Testament. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 15, we'll see this phrase once again, just um, very slightly differently worded, but very much the same words in, in concept. Verse 15 of Ecclesiastes 8 says, Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labour the days of his life which God giveth him under the sun. So here in Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes uses that phrase and he, he commended uh, mirth and merriment. And he says, A man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. But what I want to do next then is to see why it's saying that that's, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 15 and what it really means in the overall meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes. So can you come back with me please to right to the beginning of the uh, book, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Because Ecclesiastes was a, a book, it's inspired by God, it's part of the inspired Bible, but it was a book which was written by King Solomon, the son of King David of Israel. And in verse 1, we're told that. We're told it's the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And King Solomon was renowned for his wisdom, wasn't he? He was the one that people came from all over the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon, like the, the Queen of Sheba came up to hear his wisdom. He was a very wise man. He was a very wealthy man. But he also wanted to understand the meaning of life. So in Ecclesiastes, in, in chapter 1, and verse 12, we read, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. So this is King Solomon, king in Jerusalem. And he says, I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things which are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of men to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold all his vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. That which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. So Solomon could see some of the issues that we all experience in life. Though he was a very wise man, he was a very rich man. He also saw people going through difficulties, but he saw that whatever people did, there was an emptiness to it. There is vanity and vexation of spirit. People live 
people die? What is the point of it all? What is the meaning of life? In much wisdom is much grief, he said then in chapter 1 and verse 18. And so in chapter 2, he says he, went, he set out to try and understand. Verse 1 of chapter 2, I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. So he, he tried out, enjoying mirth and pleasure. But he found there was nothing in it really. This also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards. And so Solomon was this man who had the massive resources of the kingdom of Israel at this time. He was able to do whatever he wanted to do. He built great buildings. He planted vineyards. Verse 6, he made pools of water to water the wood that bringeth forth trees. He got servants and maidens and had servants born in his house he had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. And then we read in verse 8 about his wealth. He gathered him silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. He got me singing men singers and women singers and delights of the sons of men. Musical instruments and that of all sorts. And so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labour. And this was my portion in all my labour. And so he tried out. Enjoying all the pleasures of life. And verse 11 says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had brought, and on the labour that I had laboured to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. So whatever he did, there was nothing really substantial about it. It was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no real profit in any of these things. And so Solomon was dissatisfied, despite his great wealth and his great wisdom. He still really wanted to understand, is there more to life than this? And so moving forward in Ecclesiastes, we've read verse um, 15 of chapter 8. But I want to look at the context now of Ecclesiastes 8. Uh, starting back at verse 12. Here in Solomon's quest to understand the, the purpose of life and seeking for something other than the, the vanity of, of life as it is. He observes in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes 8, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear 
God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. There is a vanity which is done in the earth, that there be just men unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And so he says, when you, when you look at life as it is today, from the perspective of our mortal existence, it doesn't make sense. Some people who are good suffer greatly. Some people who are evil have a apparently carefree life. Where is the fairness in that? And so he said, I said, this also is vanity. And so it's in that context that he said those words in verse 15, I commended mirth because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labour, the days of his life which God giveth him under the sun. So, if there's nothing other than this life, then he says, you might as well just enjoy it. Eat, drink and be merry. But then he goes on to say in verse 16 and 17, I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see business that is done upon the earth. For also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep in his eyes. Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labour to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Nay, Father, though a wise man think to know it yet shall he not be able to find it so he acknowledges here in verse 16 and 17 that there is more to what's going on in our lives now than what we're able to see and understand verse 17 i beheld all the work of god that a man cannot find out the work so he'd seen that there was nothing in life as it was but he was still dissatisfied and he recognised that there was more to it there was more that could be understood but it was hidden with God I behold all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun and so he continued to wrestle with this question what's the point of life why is this just emptiness and vanity so we come to the next chapter, Ecclesiastes 9, in verse 4. He talks about the, the contrast between two different animals, the great lion and a humble dog, as it were. The difference in the verse is that one is living and the other is dead. And he says, for to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. A living dog is better than dead lion. 
For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. So, the end of life is the end of everything, he says. And so verse 7, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. For God now accepteth thy works. Let thy garments always be white, and thy head lack no ointment. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the, day, all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun. All the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life, and in thy labour which thou takest under the sun. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. And so he's focusing here on seeing the end of life. So whatever people have done, whatever they've been able to enjoy in life, is going to come to an end. That great majestic lion, you saw in verse 4, once it's dead... That's it. Even a dog would be better than that. And so, with our own lives, however wealthy, however wise we may have been, that perishes at death. Their memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hatred, their envy is perished. And so, again, we're still looking at the perspective of life as an end in itself but where does Solomon end up then in his quest for an understanding of the meaning of life and a purpose in life well he gets to the conclusion in the final chapter so let's come across to Ecclesiastes 12 and at verse 8 he's seen the emptiness of life vanity of vanities saith the preacher all is vanity And yet he does come to a positive conclusion at the end, as we see in these final verses. Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads. And as nails fastened by masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished. For of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Solomon's done all the studying he needed to do. He's now come to a conclusion. Verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. 
he's concluded that life without God is emptiness and vanity. It comes to an end and there is nothing beyond the grave for those people. Those people who live life without an acknowledgement and without a a desire to serve God. Solomon has discovered at the end of the book that there is a value in serving God. And so his final message is, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Because there is something else. God will bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Because the Bible gives us a different perspective. It looks beyond the three score years and ten or the 80 years or perhaps the 87 years, whatever the latest average is for our lives today in this world with modern medicine. The Bible looks way beyond that to a hope of immortality. It looks to a resurrection from the dead to life in God's kingdom. And that's the perspective which Jesus was seeking to bring the people to in that parable which we looked at earlier. It's the perspective which Solomon ends up with here in the end of Ecclesiastes. And it's the perspective which the Apostle Paul also had as he considered his life. Let's just come across to the New Testament again now to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians 15 we have another Occasion where a variation on this idea is used. It's not quite the same words as the, the phrase, eat, drink and be merry, but very much the same thought is there for the Apostle Paul. In the first of Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is demonstrating the importance of the resurrection from the dead. He talks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And how important that is to his faith and his perspective in life. And so he asks the the question in verse 14. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so there were some people that he was writing to who didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. But this was fundamental to everything that Paul believed. And so he really emphasises this point by thinking about his own life. In verse 19 he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Apostle Paul was a man who was putting all his life into preaching the gospel. He was travelling around the Roman Empire, suffering stonings, suffering shipwrecks, suffering deprivations. He was doing nothing like that man in the parable. He wasn't sitting back, eating, drinking and being merry. He was putting his whole heart and his whole life into serving God and preaching the gospel. But he says... If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. He would be wasting his time in what he was doing. But verse 20, 
but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And so he knew that because Jesus had been raised from the dead, that was the hope for the believers who follow him, that they also could be raised from the dead to everlasting life. And so he says in verse 21, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so that was the firm conviction he had. And he returns to the, the contrast with that in verse 32. For if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So if there was no hope for the future, there would be no point in the apostle going through what he was doing. He had suffered all these things for no reason. He might as well eat and drink, for he would soon die anyway. And so we see that great contrast. There's a difference of perspective, a difference in a way of looking at our lives. Jesus was teaching the people in that parable to not think about life today, but to think about life in the kingdom of God when Jesus is the king in Jerusalem. Here the Apostle Paul is looking to the time of the resurrection of the dead, when those faithful who have died will be raised and given everlasting life and so it's a completely different perspective isn't it to what we see from that rich man in the parable and Jesus also gives us that perspective in another um, of his speeches come back please to the gospels now to Matthew chapter 6 where I'd like to conclude Matthew in chapter 6 again gives thoughts to the example of King Solomon. He thinks back to him as a a man who had great wealth and honour. And yet this is what he has to say in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 6. Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon had all this great wealth. His, the court was magnificent, and Queen of Sheba took her breath away when she saw the court and heard his wisdom and yet Jesus says God's able to just create the flower in the field a wild flower and it's even greater in its beauty than 
whatever Solomon was able to do. Because God has much greater wisdom and has a much greater purpose than anything that man has power over or the intelligence or wisdom to be able to produce. And so it says in verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And so he says that God is able to provide for us. That rich man with all his abundance of fruit, so much they had to build greater barns to, to contain them. He was coming to the end of his life. His life was going to end that night. For those who don't have riches, nevertheless God is able to provide for them. God will clothe you, O ye of little faith. And so he says in verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? We don't need to worry about this life if we have the correct perspective which Jesus and the Apostle Paul and King Solomon were teaching us. So verse 32, For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So the message of Jesus was, seek first the kingdom of God. Have your perspective not on life now, but on the life in the age which is to come. The kingdom of God upon the earth and if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness God will look after us now and provides for us a wonderful hope in the kingdom which is to come and so we see that phrase very much around in the world different times of the year eat drink and be merry but whenever we see that let's think about what it really means it represents a short term perspective on an empty life but what God is calling us to is something much greater something which is truly lasting it's not vanity of vanities it is the substance and the meaning of life and so we call upon everyone to read the Bible for themselves to understand that wonderful gospel message and not to eat, drink and be merry, but to look forward to the day when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again and the kingdom of God and his righteousness will be seen throughout the earth. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Mm-hmm.